Today on the ZabeCast, another massive Capitals letdown twin. Blown two goal leads and a crusher in OT. And yes, I was there, and no, I was not surprised. Full recap today here on the ZabeCast. Plus Greg Popovich, Jersey Talk, retirements and the passing of one of the great all-time minor characters in movie history. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Monday, April 16, 2018. Thank you for joining me and me alone today. It'll still be the best damn thing you hear today. Weather completely sucks all across the upper Midwest, down to the south, all the way across the east, and it is the middle of April. Oh, by the way, get your taxes done, in case you didn't know that. It's funny because today, you know, my friends up there in Milwaukee, Bob and Brian and others, are shoveling and plowing and snow blowing significant snow, six inches, maybe more, depending on where You live, and if you live further north in Green Bay, I mean, you're talking up to 30 inches. Minnesota, the same thing. I saw a picture, and I'll have to call Church today and just see how he's doing up there in the Twin Cities, but there was a father who took a picture with his son on April 14th in front of their truck in the driveway with an April snowstorm, and apparently 30 years ago to the date, uh, or 35 years ago to the date, They had the exact same, they had a big snowfall on April 14th up in Minnesota. And they've got a picture, the guy's got a picture of himself with his dad, and he's got a picture of himself with his kid. And it's sort of like, yeah, son, you've been born into weather misery. You live up here in Minnesota, and this is just how it's going to be. I, for the first time ever, you know, normally Bob Madden of Bob and Brian in the Morning is not easily triggered not easily flustered by stuff. I think I heard Bob triggered for the first time ever about the weather up there. He normally is a, eh, well, what are you going to do? This is the way the weather is. He was legitimately pissed because the weekend completely sucked up there. That said, eventually it'll get warm. And eventually, once it does get warm, my Capitals will already be out of the playoffs. Yes, I went to the game last night downtown in the luxury suite that our radio station controls. I am thankful for that opportunity to get free tickets to a luxury suite, which is quite an experience. Uh, I never take it for granted. I don't, I'm not piggish about going to a lot of the games. And there's actually a lot of reasons why going to the game is just not fun. Even if the team wins, had the Capitals won in dramatic overtime fashion, and the place went crazy, and we're pumping our fists and everything else, you miss so much when you are at the game. It's like you feel like you are paying money. In this case, I didn't pay money, but you know, if you're a season ticket holder, I have total respect for season ticket holders that go every night that went to 41 games this year and the playoffs and have been paying money year after year after year to have this kind of annual springtime disappointment. That you're paying money, it seems like, to be a prop, an extra in a production. Where you are there to show up, wear wear red, be loud, do chants, go crazy, shout, let's go caps. And as far as the game, yes, you can obviously watch the game and pay attention. And they give you announcements and they show some replays. But you don't 
you don't know what's going on really when you're at the arena. You just don't. Now, granted, if you're going, if you've been to every game this year, you know you can spot. You're like, okay, I can see this line shift here. I can see that line shift. But without the benefit of your announcers, especially our hometown guys, Joe Beninati and Craig Lachlan, who are outstanding for those that don't live in the D.C. area. They're really good. We're blessed with some very good local announcers. Um, you don't know what's going on fully. They, they really, you know, Locker will break down what's going on. Uh, Joe B. is good at giving you the lay of the land. Here's, you know, the guys coming in and out and all the specifics. And, again, also with the replays, this is what kills me about going to games. It's not the traffic. It's not the cost of concessions. It's the fact that, okay, opposing team scores really cool goal, and stadium replay system or stadium, you know, in-game entertainment director will give you one, one replay. That's it, one. And it's because there's this concept or a notion that, well, we're not here to pump up the other team. We don't want to show another team's goal more than once because, fuck them, we're trying to beat them. So, yeah, okay, congratulations, you scored a goal. I guess we have to show a replay of it just so people can see it. Nah, nah, that's it. That's all they give you is one. Columbus scored, I want to say, their first goal on a beautiful, spectacular laser outlet pass right up the seam to a little speedy zip-zip guy. And, I mean, it was a two-line pass, the kind of pass that used to be illegal in the NHL. Now it's legal as long as you're onside, and he was onside. And it just, it was just a rifle up the seam that was caught tape to tape. And the forward for the uh, Blue Jackets goes in, does a hard deke backhand, forehand, backhand, and then tucks it in behind Grubau. We got one replay of that. So when I finally got home last night at 1.30 driving rainstorm after sitting in the parking garage for, oh, at least 30 minutes. No, I did not ail theory it. I, I did not, in part because my brother or my buddy want to count roads he was driving, so I couldn't convince him to leave. And secondly, you know, I really, now that I don't do the morning show anymore, I can sleep in, which I did till 8, 8.30 or so, and I was okay. But no, it's not, uh, it's not that. So I get home, all right, so I get home afterwards, and I immediately dial up, NHL.com, because I want to see the highlights of the game. And they give you the highlights on NHL.com for free, because we're living in an age in which we're always lectured. The traditional sports center won't work. Everyone can get highlights on their phone. The highlights, highlights all over the place. Well, yeah, there's highlights, but as I watched the highlight package from NHL.com, and it was a thick cut of highlights, it was six minutes and change, It did not have an announcer. It did not have somebody narrating the highlights and giving context to the highlights and giving flavor to the highlights like a SportsCenter anchor would, like Dan Patrick back in the day or Keith Olbermann or Craig Kilborn or guys like that or Kenny Main. And so I'm watching the six-minute highlight package, and I see that goal, and they showed several different angles. And they showed an overhead angle looking straight down on the goal that Grubauer actually made a hell of an effort on the save. Almost got his skate in a full split to cover post to post, but left just a tiny crack uncovered. And that's where the Blue Jacket forward was able to tuck it in. Now here's the thing. 
If I'm paying you money, Ted Leonsis, to go to the game, why the fuck can't I get that replay as well? We're living in a digital informational age where the customer is always right. The customer gets what he wants, a lot of it. How is that even a thing nowadays? How is it going to change the outcome of a game if you gave three or four replays on a good opposing team's goal in the arena? I just don't get it. I don't get it. I'll never get it. And it's one thing that if, you know, Ted would ever talk to me again because, you know, he doesn't doesn't like the fact that I am critical sometimes of him, although he's our best owner in town at, at the current moment, I'd say, owns two of our four teams. You know, I just would love to say, come on, Ted, you get it. You're, you're a digital guy. You, you know how the information age works. Why would you deny people that pay you money to go to the stadium, to sit there in traffic, to rock the red and buy the jerseys and scream their lungs out and go home disappointed every spring with an early exit? Why would you deny them, hey, it's free. It's just more replays. Give them more replays. But it was good to be there. We had uh, two special guests. Well, I had my uh, juggalo crew of One Account Rhodesy. Raven Kyle and Wild Jim West. Uh, great guys all. They were very kind. They bought my barbecue dinner down at Hill Country Barbecue, which is delicious. You know, the old school barbecue where it's just a big, you get a big butcher wrap piece of paper with a slab of barbecue on it. I got the brisket, wet, wet brisket. Paid for that, paid for the parking, paid for the tolls. Johnny drove his car down. It was great. We had a good time as a group. But we also had uh, two special guests in the suite, and that was Brian, a.k.a. Big Stupid 21 on Twitter, and his friend Paul, uh, who were great guys. Both guys obviously know hockey very well. They know local sports very well. We had a good time, talked about lots of different things in the suite, and uh, unfortunately went home with a loss. But they bid on the two tickets in the suite plus parking uh, to benefit the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and it was a very generous bid, and I just wish that I could have delivered them a win. But I didn't. So now we go through the stages of capital's grief. We're not dead yet. Uh, Barry Trotz has said he is going to, uh, this team is not going anywhere. We're, we're still going to be a factor, he kind of said. But the numbers are simple. 88% of teams that go up 2 nothing in a best-of-seven NHL playoff series win the series. That's 88% of all teams that go up 2 nothing. I'd imagine teams that go up 2 nothing on the road in a best-of-seven have an even higher percentage given that they have now an overwhelming home ice advantage. So we'll see. I have no expectations of them coming back and winning the series. They might come back and make it interesting, but they're going to lose this series. And so you ask yourself, what stage am I of Capitals grief as a longtime Washington Capitals fan? And you, you see the, you know, the image on the Zabecast here. That's a Photoshop of me as a boy at Christmas opening a present in my Capitals pajamas. Somebody replaced the present with an empty pizza box, took the logo from my pajamas and put it on the inside of the box and wrote, uh, lifetime supply of playoff disappointment. <laughs> and they're not wrong. They're not wrong. So the stages, I think, of Capitals grief are as follows. There's hopeful anguish, which is the first stage, where you are still like every time they lose, you're like, oh, God, I thought this was our year. You know, you do the fake fan crying thing. Then the second stage is tortured failure, like, oh, God, these guys. You're not as hopeful anymore, and you're more accepting of this team's perennial playoff failures. 
The third stage is encompassing despair in which you have a dread and a despair of, no, this is not our year yet again. Then you enter bitter resignation, which I'm in between the stage three, encompassing despair, into stage four, bitter resignation. I don't have the bitter part, but I am resigned. I'm resigned that this team, as currently constituted, and I'm not pointing fingers necessarily at Ovi or Backstrom or Carlson or any of the perennial guys we've had for a while now. I'm not saying they're the reason or they're at fault or we should trade them. I'm just saying I have resignation that this group's never going to do anything special in the postseason. I'm not bitter about it yet, but I am resigned. And then stage five of Capitals' grief is, who are the Capitals? (laughs) And I'm not there. While we were leaving and waiting in the parking garage for, like I said, about 30 minutes outside the uh, Capital One Arena, we were watching a guy in front of us waiting to go up the ramp in his car, just one dude in his car, alone, picking his nose. And we're watching it sort of like, uh, you know, the caddies in Caddyshack were watching the Smales kid pick his nose and betting on it whether he would eat on eat it. We're watching this guy pick his nose, and it's like going on for a minute. Okay, still going. Two minutes. Still going. Three minutes. Switches hands. Four minutes. I mean, it kept going and going to the point where the guy said, hey, why don't you get a video of this, and you could post it on your Twitter account. And I'm like, nah, he's going to stop any moment now. I missed most of it. Well, no, he didn't, actually. I started filming, and he kept going for another two, two and a half minutes, and I caught it on video, and I'm, we're all laughing in the car, and I'm turning the camera around. And I add up, and I go post it. You know, no big deal. Guy picking his nose in the car. Probably couldn't tell who he was. It didn't take me more than a minute to realize, you know what? Let's take that video down, shall we? Because the way viral things work, it doesn't even take a whole lot, given that this guy was obviously at the Caps game, and obviously plenty of people know me. They would Someone would recognize him, is I guess what I'm saying, and they would then say, hey, and it would be possibly taken the wrong way. The chances that this guy would go, ah, yeah, yeah, you really caught me digging in my nose there for a nose nugget. Ah, what can I say? Good one there. Ha ha. The chances of that were... I think slim. I think the chances of him getting, you know, butt hurt, outraged, and then trying to come after me like, you should fire this guy, or how dare you make fun of him, or did he give you permission to videotape him picking his nose? I could have said, hey, he's in a parking garage full of people in cars, knuckle deep. But it just was one of those things where I said, I don't think I'm getting a raise from this video. And I'm, you know, there's a, 50-50 chance that I'll have to be in a meeting about something. Let's talk Greg Popovich. It's great to see him lose, by the way, and lose badly. Wasn't that great? Um, He is the anti-Steve Kerr. You know, Steve Kerr is a really good NBA coach. Although I'd love to see him without a loaded team just once and without Steph Curry. But still, he's a really good NBA coach who is also not an asshole. He understands that the media has their job to do and he has his job to do and there has to be some sort of basic dance that goes on regarding questions and answers and discussion of strategy. Greg Popovich is not that guy. Greg Popovich has made a shtick out of the, hey, watch me give the shittiest halftime interview 
you've ever seen. And that's what he does. Here he was with Lisa Salters during their game one blowout at the hands of the Golden State Warriors. I heard you tell your guys a couple minutes ago, this is called adversity, get through it. What has to change for them to get through it? Well, we have to play a little bit better. Coming into the game, you said Kevin Durant, you got to defend him better. He had 11 in that first quarter. What has to happen differently to play him better? we got to play him better. All right, thank you, Bob. So there you go. Greg Popovich, you know, they make these coaches do these interviews. The NBA forces them to do the interviews. You can't opt out of them. And ESPN has to do this dance. And Greg Popovich likes doing this. It became kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing when Craig Sager was doing it, when Sager was alive. But now it's almost like, what is he going for here? And could ESPN just say to the NBA, we're not interviewing him. Find us. We're the client, by the way. We're paying you, the association, lots and lots and lots and lots of money, um, you know, uh, to, to go ahead and interview him. But we're just not going to do it because it makes our reporters look stupid. Now, there are a way, there, there's ways to ask perhaps sharper questions that would maybe get Popovich to give you some information. But he could always just revert back to the simple, you know, uh, basic answer of we'll score more points or play better or defend harder or just give you a basic yes or no. When it comes to questions, there are essentially six questions that I learned way back when in uh, journalism and in my mass media communications minor at UC Santa Barbara. Actually, it wasn't even mass media. It was just a communications minor. Not a minor, it was a double major. Yeah, I was a double major in political science and communications. But working at the student newspaper and in radio, they taught you, okay, who, what, where, why, how, when. There's your basic six questions. Who, what, why, who, what, where, why, how, when, and some assortment of them. There's other questions that would be, let's say, you could start a question with wouldn't, which is a hypothetical Wouldn't it be great if you could have, there is a is blank accurate or true or does blank make sense question. You're going to basically elicit a yes or a no, maybe an elaboration off of that. But other than that, it's hard to pin a coach down on a good answer if he just wants to be a dick and doesn't want to answer. Belichick is classic at this. Here was Popovich afterwards in his press conference. There was an idea. Oh, boy. Commercials. Okay. Hang on for 10 seconds, and then you'll get this Greg Popovich. But, yes, uh, the reporters afterwards tried to get Greg Popovich to explain certain things like uh, Danny Green trying hopelessly to guard Kevin Durant. I'm so tired of this. It's so funny that, by the way, let me stop right there. This huge pause of reporters like, oh, God, he sounds, he sounds mad. I don't know what I want to ask him a question. I'm so tired of this. Anyone? Anyone? 
Bueller. What went wrong for you guys tonight? Uh, what went wrong for us? Yeah, this afternoon. Sorry, I lost my. They game. played better than we did. Uh, listen to that. Uh, God. Listen to how pathetic and soft and weak that question is. What? W- First of all, that that is an overly broad question, and the reporter is hoping that Popovich bails them out by giving a basic narrative of how they got their asses handed to them, 113-92. Popovich was not in the mood to provide a narrative for the lazy reporter about, here's how we got our asses handed to us, 113-92. And he glowers and says, tonight? And then the reporter apologizes. I'm sorry, I forgot it was daytime. I didn't mean to say that. I'm so tired of this. What went wrong for you guys tonight? Uh, what went wrong for us? Yeah, this afternoon. Sorry, I lost my. They game. played better than we did. <laughs> now everyone's all like, "Oh God, did you see what happened to that reporter? He got humiliated." I don't want to ask a question. Oh, I might die. Coach, uh, you started uh, Danny Green uh, basically on Kevin. This is what kills me. Get your fucking question out. Seriously. Pretend like you're on the air, like you're on TV, or you're like you're on the radio. Have your question. Ask your question. None of this verbal diarrhea. Danny Green. On Kevin. Was that, I mean, did did that work very well? Did you watch the game? Yes. What do you think? (laughs) Didn't. It didn't work very well. So we'll, we'll have Danny grow four or five inches by Monday night, uh, tell him to jump higher and move quicker. And we'll tell Kevin, don't be so good. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Okay, well, the corollary to that would be, well, you put him on, Kevin Durant, so maybe you made a huge fuck-up thinking he could actually guard Kevin Durant. If you want if you want to do your job right as a reporter, you got to come right at Popovich and say, "Oh yeah, coach, look, everybody knows Danny Green can't guard Kevin Durant. So why did you think he could guard him?" Boom. There's your question. Is it a little bit hostile? Sure. And they say that, you know, journalism 101, you're not there to be a combatant with the coach, you're there to ask questions and elicit answers and to understand better what happened in the game. But I think in the case of Popovich, who has been antagonistic as shit his whole career, you're allowed to be antagonistic. Coach, Kevin Durant just took Danny Green apart. Why did you think that was a matchup you could live with on the court? I'll hang up and listen to your answer off the air. So, yeah, I, I don't. On the one hand, Popovich is a mega dick, and his act has worn completely thin. On the other hand, how can you respect a reporter that asks a question in this week of a way? Coach, uh, you started uh, Danny Green uh, basically on Kevin. Basically. Was that, I mean, did, did that work very well? Did you watch the game? You, you can't respect a reporter like that. You just you absolutely can't. Elsewhere in the NBA, LeBron and the Cavaliers got slaughtered by the Pacers, 98-80. to And all I can say, and I'm not declaring him dead yet, 
because I still think that they'll probably get out of the first round just knowing the way the NBA works. That said, can you imagine LeBron actually going out in the first round? Can you imagine the network executives thinking, okay, how is the East going to go? Let's say there's more upsets and more surprises. Let's say the Bucks get hot. They get past the Celtics and they stun the Sixers. And you have a Pacers versus Bucks. And let's say the Pacers knock off the Cavaliers and they knock off the one seed, Toronto. Assuming Toronto can handle my Wizards, which I think they can and will. Imagine a Pacers Bucks Eastern Conference Finals. Woo boy. Wouldn't that be something? Think of all the hours spent this year, starting in October, when NBA camps opened on ESPN and all their argument shows. First take, PTI, around the horn, highly questionable facts versus volume. Oh, yeah, did so, did not. All those argument shows. Think of all the hours spent on LeBron and LeBron-related topics. LeBron versus Michael Jordan. LeBron's legacy. LeBron is the greatest. LeBron's stats, everything. I would love if somebody would keep tally. And it'd be very tedious, but it could be done. Of the actual number of minutes, hours, minutes, seconds spent talking LeBron from October on, when we're in the middle of football season, we're in the middle of baseball World Series playoffs, and it's LeBron this, LeBron. That, that's, a, that's why I roll my eyes. It's not that I don't think LeBron is phenomenal. It's not like that I don't like the NBA playoffs. I think these playoffs this year are going to be highly entertaining and very unpredictable. It's just that the, the talking about it starting in October is a bit much. Des Bryant looking for work this weekend. I'm sure his agent, who didn't do a very good job of either managing his client's expectations regarding his cap number for this year, or didn't do a good job of getting Des a they have to pay him on the second day of the new league year stipulation on his 2018 salary. Yeah, I'm sure his agent is calling various teams. And it doesn't look like there's a lot of really sexy teams that are jumping up and snapping him up. Obviously, the Redskins, my Redskins, the easy rumor, because that's the kind of thing we typically do. Then you've got the Giants, where every fan is like, ooh, him plus Odell Beckham Jr.? How could you stop him? And then there's the Eagles, who really don't need him, per se, and I think they wouldn't want him to disrupt the chemistry of what they got going there with the, okay, Dez is just mad at the Cowboys and wants to stick it to him kind of a thing. Dez off the field is a challenge. Dez is late to all kinds of things, meetings and whatnot. Dez will blow off treatment for tendonitis in his knee, which he did last year. He didn't, you know, late in the year, he's like, yeah, my knee's been bothering me. It's got tendonitis. And they're like, well, bro, why didn't you go get treatment? So Dez is a handful. Dez on the sidelines when things aren't going well in a game, isn't getting enough looks, is a pain in the ass. But guess what? Dez doesn't suck at football. Dez could help a team big time, which is why I think the Packers should just go get him. Go get him right now because think of this. So Dez is not, he can't separate as well as he once did. It's part of the reason they let Jordy Nelson go. So why would you replace a guy who can't separate with another guy who can't separate? Well, because... Dez is a lot bigger and goes up and makes catches over dudes type of wide receiver. And he was at his best playing with Romo before Romo got hurt and then they went down into the unthinkable 
depths of quarterback hell with Brandon Whedon and Matt Castle. And then, you know, Dak came in and played well, played great his rookie year, but it was mostly a run-based team with Zeke Elliott, and they never hooked up Dak and Dez, not to the extent that he and Romo did, and it continued into last year. And now Dez Bryant is a free agent. Think of Aaron Rodgers and his pinpoint accuracy throwing to Dez fucking Bryant. You don't think Dez Bryant at age 29 slash 30 doesn't have two good years in him? Because that's really all the window is anymore in the NFL for anybody. Two years and then we'll figure it out. I don't know how much money he wants, but who cares? Pay him. I know you're saying, well, yeah, we don't want to deal with that headache. Fucking manage the headache, for God's sakes. When the when the Patriots had a chance to get Randy Moss, who was considered every bit the head case and the pain in the ass that Des Bryant was, they went out and got him and they put up a 17-0 or 16-0 regular season, almost went perfect, 18-1. and When it was all said and done, one of the most prolific offenses ever. I don't know why the Packers wouldn't go and just grab Des Bryant and say, we'll figure it out. Also, you know, Des really worked best with Romo when he was off schedule. When he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off in the backfield, looting dudes. And besides, say, Russell Wilson and maybe Big Ben, who else is better at off schedule stuff than Aaron Rodgers? I'd go ahead and do it. If you're a Packer fan, let me know what you think about that. Let's talk jerseys for a second. I love, love, love the Philadelphia Sixers jerseys. They've tried it out on Monday night. The home jerseys, not Monday night, Saturday night. It's like a dirty white. It, it's a, I, I don't know what they call it. I'll have to look it up on the web. It's not cream, but it's not a super clean white. It's just like an all, It's like an eggshell. Oh, there it is. Eggshell white. It's like an eggshell white, and they've got filla on the front. That's it, in a very elegant, cursive-type font, or a fancy-type font. I don't know if it would be called cursive, but whatever that font is. I think it's just a great look. Now, the only thing that mars that jersey is the fact that they sold an ad on the left upper chest patch, and I don't even know what the ad is for, but I just hate that about the NBA. Love that jersey, though. I love Minnesota's jerseys in hockey, the wild. That deep forest green is so delicious, and especially uh, once they came back home down 2 nothing uh, in their best of seven. And I love the creamy white accent on it. I just don't like the name Wild. I'm not wild about Wild. Just too abstract. Now, what else would you name Minnesota after an animal that's indigenous to the region? Well, Timberwolves is taken by the basketball team, so you can't have that. And I guess if you would argue that, well, the the North Stars, the old Minnesota hockey team, that too was an abstract uh, kind of a name, since it's not an animal of sorts, but at least a star is a star, right? The North Star. It's a, sti- it's a, th- a star is a thing, right? Whereas the Wild is just sort of a concept. And their logo, it's, I can see the way they make it in the silhouette of a head of, a, of an animal, of a, I guess a wolf of some sort. And it's got the Minnesota tree line and the sun the setting sun the moon maybe in that i like the minnesota uh wild jersey that's got the diagonal minnesota on it which i think is an alternate that's not one of the regular jerseys 
And as far as jerseys go, people ask me all the time about the Golden Knights. Do you like the Golden Knights jerseys? I just, I'm not feeling it. I love what the Golden Knights are doing. I love that Vegas is hockey. I'm happy for George McPhee, who is our former GM. He's now in, in Vegas, the GM there. I love it. I love what's going on. I, I don't feel the jerseys, partly because they've got four colors going on, five if you count white. They've got the gold. They've got that gunmetal gray. They have black. They have an accent, a trim color of red. It's more red than I would like. And then the numbers are white, and the names are white as well. I just, well, what would you like? I don't know. I just, uh, I'm not quite into the Golden Knights thing. Speaking of jerseys and or colors and or things, Patrick Reed, Masters winner, has been wearing his jacket, his green jacket around quite a bit lately. Now, it had always been said about the green jacket that, oh, sir, the green jacket, uh, it'll stay at the club. Uh, We do not permit our winners to take the green jacket off premises. They can wear the green jacket as a winner of this tournament once they are on the grounds every springtime in Augusta. That was once upon a time the old rumor and legend of the green jacket. But I don't know if that was ever really the rule or if it has now gotten a lot laxer. I remember when Mickelson won it, he wore it out all over the place. Wore it at the drive-thru, wore it on Letterman, etc., etc. Sergio, same thing. And Patrick Reed's been out catching games courtside wearing the green jacket. In fact, he has now been at a Knicks game, an Astros game, a Rockets game, and he photographed himself or got a photograph at a Chick-fil-A drive-thru wearing the green jacket. Okay, that's fine. He can do what he wants. But I saw a tweet from NBC Sports and their official website, NBC or their official Twitter account, that said, okay, we get it already, with a picture of Patrick Reed. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty snarky for an actual, you know, a corporate site and not just some fan. Cal Ripken Jr., remember him? Great Baltimore Oriole legend, broke Lou Gehrig's streak for consecutive games played. Well, he's moving on in life and selling his house. No big deal. People get old. They sell their house. They downsize. Cal actually uh, has recently divorced. His two older children, Rachel and Ryan, are adults. So he's selling his estate that he built when he was just a second-year player with the Baltimore Orioles back in 1984. Bought 25 acres out in horse country in the middle of Nowheresburg, Maryland. Horse country, Maryland. Uh, just south of Baltimore and east of this and west of that. You'd have to go look up the Maryland topography to know it. It's a beautiful country, but there's it's nothing there. It's just kind of weird, whatever. It's not like it's Beverly Hills. And he was originally selling his massive 25-acre estate with his 21,000-square-foot home with its full-court gymnasium and basketball court and fully functioning locker room and full-sized baseball field. He was originally listing the estate for $12.5 million. Then he dropped it to $9.7 million. A year later, he's now going to sell it at a no-minimum, no-reserve auction on May 12th of this year. Open houses begin on Saturday if you want to go up there and pretend to be interested. Go get your top hat and your monocle and say, well, I'd like to take a look at this property. Cal talked about when he was building it, uh, you know, when he was just a second-year player, 
He said he started working with architects and the house grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than it should. And he said that his architects and his friends tried to talk him out of building all this stuff into this house and this compound by saying, ah, you'll grow out of that phase. And Cal kept telling him, no, I won't. And for years, Cal would have pickup basketball games with his teammates and friends. I know some radio hosts that went up there and played basketball with Cal in his indoor gym. Uh, Tim Kirkjian, I believe, has played basketball with Cal in his private gym, which is kind of a cool thing because here he is, a major Hall of Fame baseball superstar who is still just a humble Aberdeen, Maryland kid with way too many toys. But I'm just here to say right now, no, I am not in. Uh, I am not, I'm not interested I'm looking to go the other direction. I'm not going from, I don't want to go from 10 to 25. I want to go from 10 to 2.5. Because I too, like Cal Ripken, as you get older and your kids start to filter through the house and through the system in college and out the door, you start thinking, God, you know what? I really, I got other things to do than maybe cut the lawn today. Good luck, Cal. I hope it sells for what you wanted. James Harrison is retiring. One of the great mythical players in NFL history. Is he a Hall of Famer? I really haven't taken a moment to size that up. I think he'll be in consideration, that's for sure. Played until almost 40 years old. Obviously has had a controversial career full of suspensions and fines for cheap shots and PED allegations. He might have been suspended for PED use. I can't, don't quote me on that. But he, I love James Harrison because of this one reason. He was pure alpha, an absolute badass, great scowl. He was a great wrestling character in a real sport. Like you couldn't make him up if you tried. And he was a great player during his peak, and he was still a good player as a role player late in his career. And he was the one guy who was willing to publicly bitch that stooge, Roger Goodell, which I enjoyed immensely. He also possesses maybe, I think, the greatest visual highlight, the most spectacular visual jaw-dropping highlight in Super Bowl history, even better than David Tyree's catch, which was kind of luck. This was the 100-yard pick six in Super Bowl XLIII at the end of the first half against Kurt Warner and the Arizona Cardinals. Looks to throw. Quick pitch. Over the middle. Picked off. It is intercepted. Picked off by Harrison. Running down the near side of the 30, 35, 40, 45. Breaks a tackle. Down to the 40. Has a blocker. Cuts back the other way. Stumbling. Rumbling. Getting an illegal block maybe at the 15. And what a run that was. There's no time left on the clock. The clock just expired as he jumps into the end zone. Marv Albert and Boomer Esiason on the call. He got tackled one foot across the goal line. And had he been tackled one and a half feet short of that, it would have been no points. And the game and the halftime would have ended with no score because they had run out of time. It just bodies spilling left and right left and right it reminded me of a tech mobile play in which you get the players running and diving and jumping over guys and he was off balance that's a linebacker at 260 pounds i'm guessing who made a great play to recognize the little slip screen that 
Kurt Warner is trying to throw at the goal line, jump in front of it, and if you watch that highlight, from the minute he picks the ball at his own goal line, he is running like a maniac, like, fuck it, I'm going to score. Let's score. Like, I know the end zone's 100 yards away, but fuck that, I'm going. And he made it. James Harrison, one of the great all-time NFL badasses. One more football thing, and this will be an ongoing topic as this continues, I believe, in college and in the pros. Over the weekend, college football approved a new rule on kickoffs in which you can call for fair catch and get the ball as a touchback at the 25-yard line if you fair catch it inbounds outside of the end zone. So in other words, a team kicks a high, poochy kind of kick that they designed to land at the 5 or the 10-yard line so they can pin you deep with good coverage. Guess what? You can call a fair catch and get the ball on a touchback at the 25. Boo. Don't like this rule. Don't like it at all. Either you're going to have kickoffs or you're not. And this, as many pundits have said, is the beginning of the end of kickoffs in in football, in college, and in pro. And some would say, good, it's an overly dangerous play that really isn't that exciting. Okay. All I'm going to say is this. If they can get rid of the kickoff, they can get rid of anything in football. And as bureaucrats like to do, once they get doing good, they get this momentum. And they say, well, let's do this now. So if they get rid of kickoffs, they can get rid of anything. And if they can get rid of anything, they're going to get rid of something else. And it's going to continue. And we'll see what that does about the popularity of the sport itself. We'll end with this today. Rest in peace, R. Lee Ermey who played the psychotic and unforgettable drill sergeant in the movie Full Metal Jacket. He played Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in the 1987 Stanley Kubrick classic. His other credits include uh, playing Sheriff Hoyt in the 2003 horror film The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He was also a police captain in the 1995 Crime Drama 7, which I hated that I actually saw. I wish I could unsee it. I can't. I don't deny that it was a great, sick horror movie, but I just I'm, I saw it and I'm like, okay, now, now I don't want to see that. He also played uh, a plastic soldier named Sarge in the Toy Story franchise. He was an 11-year career ma- Marine whose career was ended by a rocket in 1969 in Vietnam. Doesn't really talk about it, saying if a person's wife and children were killed in a terrible car crash, would you talk about it afterwards? By the late 1970s, Ermey had landed one of his first movie roles as a helicopter pilot in Apocalypse Now. He also served as an advisor for the film. Ermey told the New York Times he had given up a good job and more money as a supervisor at a nuclear power plant that was under construction just so he could get in the movie Full Metal Jacket. And the diatribe that he unleashes, full of obscenities, full of uncomfortable racial slurs, is one of the all-time classics. And if you haven't seen it, you must. It's six minutes long on YouTube. I'm going to give you a three-minute clip right now. Is that okay if I just give you a three-minute clip right now? You, you don't have anywhere to be, do you? I'm looking at the time. We're at 43 minutes. 
just three minutes. If you've never seen it or if you just want to hear it one more time, this is the opening scene, full metal jacket, Sergeant Gunny. Have at him. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound like you got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. There is no racial bigotry here. I do not look down on niggers, kites, wops, or greasers. Here you are all equally worthless. And my orders are to weed out all non-hackers who do not pack the gear to serve in my beloved car. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. What's your name, scumbag? Sir, Private Brown, sir. Bullshit, from now on, you're Private Snowball. Do you like that name? Sir, yes, sir. Well, there's one thing that you won't like, Private Snowball. They don't serve fried chicken and watermelon on a daily basis in my mess hall. Sir, yes, sir. That you, John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Who's the slimy little communist shit twinkle toad cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? <laughs> Nobody, huh? <laughs> the very fucking godmother said it. I'll fucking stand it. I will PT you all until you fucking die. I'll PT you until your assholes are sucking buttermilk. Was it you, you scroungy little fuck, huh? Sir, no, sir. You little piece of shit, you look like a fucking worm. I bet it was you. Sir, no, sir. Sir, I said it, sir. Well, no shit. What have we got here? A fucking comedian, private joker. I admire your honesty. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. <laughs> I kicked him in the you balls. You little scumbag. I got your name. I got your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. You had best unfuck yourself or I will unscrew your head and check down your neck. Sir, yes, sir. And it goes on and on for at least three more minutes. It is full metal jacket. If you haven't seen it, obviously get to it. I just love the phrase, unorganized, grabastic pieces of shit. Rest in peace, R. Lee Ermey, and thank you, sir, for your service to our country. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and buy a phone. More storage on it so you can... Save more of these awesome podcasts. Leave a positive review. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets. And like Sergeant Gunny said so famously in that movie, Private, what is your major malfunction? Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.